0: Hey guys, <clears throat> welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 36, uh, recorded here on uh, October 16, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is non-investing advice, so please, please do your own homework. All right, well... Uh, Lots to go over this week. Uh, I guess we'll start up with a market update. Uh, Stocks went on a roller coaster ride with the major averages seeing a historical but epic turnaround. A hotter than expected rise in core CPI inflation had all the hallmarks of a huge sell-off, but the broader market bounced back. More than five percentage points on an intraday level. Shares surged and bulls looked to be back in control, but then inflation reared its head again in the last trading day, and the University of Michigan's survey showed inflation expectations one-year out rising for the first time since March. When the dust settled, the S&P closed down 1.6%, and earnings are now likely to drive market direction going forward. Looking ahead uh, to the uh, coming week, Uh, The first busy week of the earnings season will feature big reports across sectors with Bank of America, Johnson & Johnson, Netflix, and Procter & Gamble all due to step into the earnings confessional. Meanwhile, the economic calendar will include updates on industrial production and the closely watched Empire Manufacturing Index. On the global stage, the Communist Party Congress begins in Beijing with President Xi expected to secure a historic third term inflation readouts and reactions are also likely to be a major factor and historians will be quick to circle october 19th as a day for hard hats. okay moving into bitcoin news here uh first one we have is uh, this is from bitcoin.com uh this was published today. Uh, U.S. lawmaker calls on SEC to issue crypto regulations, says a formal regulatory process is needed now. U.S. Senator John Hickenlooper, who's a Democrat from Colorado, has sent a letter to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, regarding crypto regulations. In his letter, dated October 13th, The senator told Gensler, clear rules promote an environment where investors are protected, adding, I write to urge the SEC to issue regulations for digital asset securities through a transparent notice and comment regulatory process. He stressed, currently digital asset markets do not have a coordinated regulatory framework. This creates uneven enforcement and deprives investors of a clear understanding of how they are protected from fraud, manipulation, and abuse. Noting that existing laws and regulations were not designed for digital assets, he explained applying the old rules to the new market could inadvertently cause financial services to be more expensive, less accessible, and the SEC's disclosure regime to be less useful to the American people. The senator noted, given the complexity of these issues and recognizing that some digital assets are securities, others may be commodities, and others may be subject to a completely different regulatory regime. A formal regulatory process is needed now, although I've all I've heard is they're either securities or they're commodities. I don't know what the third would be, but that's interesting. Anyway, this will significantly improve policy development and allow the SEC to collect views and understand concerns, he said. The Senator proceeded to outline some of the key areas that the SEC should address, including clarifying what types of digital assets are securities. Well, that's easy uh, they're all securities except for bitcoin and maybe ethereum i don't know addressing how to issue and list digital securities establishing a registration regime for digital asset security trading platforms and setting rules on how trading and custody of digital assets should be carried out hickenlooper opined i recognize these questions are complicated but it is time for the sec to engage uh, so again that's interesting but you know we've already heard Bitcoin is a commodity that's, commodities are regulated by the Commodities Future Trading Commission, not the SEC. And, uh, there really hasn't been any, uh, ruling on all the other, uh, uh, crypto assets from Ethereum on down as to whether or not they're commodities or securities. But I think the prevailing thought is that they're securities and, um, uh, so, we shall see uh next uh this is also from bitcoin.com this was posted 2 days ago JP Morgan reportedly terminates relationship with Kanye West rap star says he's happy to speak openly about being quote canceled by a bank and by the way i'm not a big not necessarily a fan of kanye uh, but uh, i just think that it's kind of interesting <laughs> how uh, censorship has made its way into our financial system. I think last week we talked about uh, the potential fine for uh, misinformation that PayPal was uh, considering until there was a lot of backlash. And then they said, uh, oops. So uh, moving on with the article here, the Amer- American rapper, songwriter, and record producer, Yay. Kanye West has been dealing with a lot of flack lately. While one of West's tweets says, Who you think created cancel culture? On October 9th, more recent tweets have been removed from the celebrity's Twitter profile. Furthermore, Ye has been controversial for recently wearing a White Lives Matter t shirt. In a tweet shared on October 7th, Ye shared an image of a hat that says 2024, possibly hinting at another attempt to run for president of the United States. Following all the controversy surrounding the Atlanta Board musician, the political commentator Candace Owens published a tweet that shares an alleged letter Yeh received from the financial giant J.P. Morgan. Earlier today, I learned that Kanye West was officially kicked out of J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, Owens tweeted. On Wednesday, I was told there was no official reason given, but they sent this letter as well to confirm that he has until late November to find another place for the Yeezy Empire to bank. Owens added, "We have reached extremely frightening times in this country. Who, who are, who or what has landed us into these times is an ongoing discussion, which I would like to open up." <laughs> Following the tweet from Owens, the New York Times Deal Book confirmed J.P. Morgan has closed the account of the rapper. Yay also shared comments about the situation with Page Six, and he noted that. He was happy that he crossed the line. Hey, if you call somebody out for bad business, that means you're being anti-Semitic, the rapper noted. I feel happy to have crossed the line of that idea so we can speak openly about things like getting canceled by a bank. Ye's story follows the recent report about PayPal's Terms of Service when the company sent out a Terms of Service change and error. A copy of PayPal's Terms of Service had shown the company would fine users $2,500 for the spreading of what the firm called misinformation. However, PayPal retracted the user policy information after the social media backlash and said it was published in error. The payments company said an AUP notice recently went out in error that included incorrect information. Delete PayPal searches on the internet jumped 1,400% following the PayPal TOS mix-up. Meanwhile, crypto supporters on the Reddit forum rbitcoin said that Yay should move toward censorship-resistant money like Bitcoin. One Redditor wrote, I'm not into pop culture or celebrities but this situation represents a colossal opportunity it will bring so much attention to bitcoin if this guy came in, out in response to J. P. morgan on social media and said f the banks then i'll move over to bitcoin uh so anyway again uh no matter what you may think about kanye west uh the fact that uh, the bank uh, basically just said we don't want your business anymore um is uh, and and it was clearly had nothing to do with his business it was all about his personal um, views or um, actions or whatever um is very interesting and certainly um you know a troubling trend and of course with bitcoin nobody can uh, take away your bitcoin so you don't really have a centralized um There's no centralized function so you know nobody can say uh take your take it away or say you can't use bitcoin or anything like that so some people have a hard time with that because that means friends and enemies alike are using the same currency but um that's kind of what goes with the territory of being free uh so moving on here um this is just kind of a recap of uh, several articles from uh, Cointelegraph Um, this was published on October 15th Um, so the first uh, top story here breaking Google taps coinbase to bring crypto payments to cloud services so starting in early 2023 coinbase's payment service coinbase commerce will facilitate crypto payments for customers purchasing Google's cloud services thanks to a deal between the two companies Google will only allow certain crypto assets for payment including Bitcoin initially limited to certain participants the option to pay with crypto will eventually be expanded to other customers An an executive at Google Cloud told CNBC, Google Cloud has taken several other steps toward crypto and blockchain industry involvement in 2022. Uh, Next is BNY Mellon, America's oldest bank, launches crypto services. Banking giant BNY Mellon has entered the crypto custody field, offering certain customers Bitcoin and Ether custody services via their new platform. The 238-year-old bank will provide bookkeeping for clients' crypto in a similar fashion as it does for traditional assets while also handling clients' private keys. BNY Mellon, CEO of Securities Services and Digital, Roman Riegelman, said, With digital asset custody, we continue our journey of trust and innovation into the evolving digital asset space while embracing leading technology and collaborating with fintechs. Uh, Next here, SEC rejects WisdomTree's application for a spot Bitcoin ETF again. Following multiple delays, the United States Security Exchange Commission has denied WisdomTree's spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund proposal, which the firm filed in January. The SEC cited fears of market manipulation and fraud as the rationale for its decision, which is consistent with its previous rationale for denying spot Bitcoin ETFs. The SEC also denied a spot Bitcoin ETF proposal from Wisdom Tree in twenty twenty one. Again, very interesting since other countries have already approved these and are you know, have been using these for a while. Canada has several and I'm not sure about other countries, but I do know there's a couple in Canada. Someday maybe. Uh, PayPal says policy to punish users for misinformation was in error. PayPal's acceptable use policy was set to change in early November to include a $2,500 fine for any platform users that promote post-send or publicize so-called misinformation. PayPal has since claimed that the policy provision was added in error. PayPal is not fining people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted in our policy, said PayPal. The fiasco has reignited concerns about centralized platforms among crypto users who view self custody as an important pillar of self sovereignty and financial inclusion. And I would agree with that. And also, uh, you know, these types of changes to policies don't actually make their way through without thorough corporate and legal review. So the fact that they said it's a mistake is is probably a lie. And so um, anyway, centralized platforms are. Uh, use those at your own risk uh, especially with Bitcoin I I would always recommend holding your own keys blockchain games and metaverse projects raised 1.3 billion dollars in Q3 data from Dapp radar revealed that 1.3 billion dollars worth of venture capital flowed into metaverse projects and blockchain games in Q3 a bright spot amid crypto bear market darkness while venture capital funding for these sectors, was down 48% compared with Q2. The Q3 figure was still more than double the amount invested in all of 2021. Very interesting. Okay, uh, moving on. Next article It's actually an opinion piece I thought was kind of interesting from Coindesk. This was uh, authored by Noel Atchison. It was published on October 14th. Bitcoin is macro but not correlated in the way you think. We tend to use the two terms, macro and correlation without understanding what they mean. Bitcoin is correlated. I often hear that thrown out in conversations as a dismissive way of saying that it isn't really an alternative asset at all and that this all this mumbo jumbo about it being external to the broader economy is just hopium. But very few who say this actually have actually dug into the data or thought about the reasoning behind that claim which is understandable why mess with convenient narratives I confess that even I used to think that a surge in the correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500 was because the institutional investors marched into the market in the second half of last year now I'm not so sure The institutions did indeed March in and Bitcoin has to a large extent become a macro asset but I don't think that's driving the correlation data Before we start looking at charts that tell a different story, let's have a a think about what correlation actually means and why we care. In theory, correlation is simply the measure of the degree to which the movements of two series are related. It measures how much two measures vary together divided by how much they usually vary individually. There are other types of correlation with different formulas, but that's too nerdy to get into here. For those who care, I use Pearson on a rolling 60-day window. Imagine two assets that are clones of one another, uh, of, one of each other. How much they move independently will be exactly the same as how much they move together. So the ratio between the two factors will be 1. A correlation of minus 1 means they move perfectly in the opposite direction. A correlation of 0 means there is no obvious relationship between the two. In reality, these perfect situations never exist. Correlations are generally a messy amalgam of erratic behavior that indicates strong or weak relationships used by investors to design relatively robust portfolio strategies and by now analysts and storytellers to spot changes and trends yet one trap many fall into is to treat correlation as a binary condition to say something is is correlated is vague and inaccurate highly correlated negatively correlated those qualifications make sense yet even then only at a specific point in time as we will see when it comes to market relationships especially concerning an asset as young as bitcoin things change fast another frequent trap is to assume that a high or low correlation can explain behavior to some extent this is true but more often than not the relationship is coincidental even if related ice cream sales and cases of sunburn are highly correlated but one does not cause or explain the other Back to Bitcoin, as you can see below, and there's a chart, I'll include a link uh, in the uh, show notes for this article, like I normally do for all the articles, actually, that I'm going over. Um, The asset used to be pretty much uncorrelated to the S&P 500 oscillating around zero, even as institutions marched in, pushing the Bitcoin price to an all-time high in November, but something changed in April of 2022. What changed, the overall market mood, correlation is more about the direction than the size of the price moves although both matter the below chart shows that up until the time that the 60-day bitcoin s p 500 correlation crossed zero on the way up never to return question mark <clears throat> the two series had sort of been moving in sync but not really by april 4th the s p 500 was down 0.7 percent on the year while Bitcoin was down seven and a half percent and the 60 days prior the snapshot window for the correlation calculation on any given day showed different trends for each what triggered the mood change interest rate expectations fed funds above two and a half percent started to become a remote possibility in terms of market pricing in early April 2022 when the actual range was 0.25 to 0.5 This freaked the market out, and the macro investors who piled into the crypto market over the previous nine to 10 months exited in a hurry. They didn't just exit crypto, a high-risk asset relatively easy to sell. They also exited equities. Prices fell across the board, and the 60-day correlation between Bitcoin and the leading stock index rocketed up to an all-time high of 0.72. Macro investors weren't the only ones de-risking crypto fund managers were also exiting expecting a general market slump the spike in correlation was not because bitcoin was now a macro asset bitcoin's entrance to general portfolios has been more or less consolidated previous year it was because bitcoin along with other risky assets was being hit by expectations of monetary tightening semantics perhaps but it matters for the same reason that sunblock manufacturers are in a very different business than ice cream makers even though their sales could move together at certain times of the year then in mid-may came the implosion of the terra stablecoin ecosystem this was a crypto specific crisis and unsurprisingly correlations fell as the damage to crypto values far exceeded that in equities the deleveraging triggered by the collapse of the hedge fund three arrows capital led to further decoupling with that digested correlations are on their way back up again but this is not contrary to common perception necessarily because bitcoin and stocks are joined at the hip there's an old adage that says in times of fear all correlations go to one we're in times of fear but bitcoin and stocks have very very different value premises so we cannot assume the correlations will remain high bitcoin is a macro asset in that Uh, now it is part of a global market but not all macro assets are highly correlated as fear subsides which it will one day given the distinct value propositions of equities and crypto we're likely to see correlations head back to lower levels supporting the narrative of an alternative macro asset even before then as the dust settles on the recent crypto crashes as the outlook for global equities continues to get worse and as the risk of holding dollars shifts higher we could see investors calibrate the relative downsides of asset groups. The resulting flows of funds are likely to change correlations and narratives, driving a new momentum that impacts correlations even further." Which by the way, I, I totally agree with. And I think uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later how volatility uh, of assets uh, plays into this and, and actually how Bitcoin is relatively little volatility compared to bonds stocks now and um, therefore might be getting investors attention. as hey this is someplace that has you know relatively low downside risk and and uh, relatively more upside risk Uh, so she finishes up to say so it's correct to say bitcoin is macro now and going forward to say bitcoin is correlated however requires more nuance and explanation especially to emphasize that the numerical relationship may be convenient for the moment, but it does not mean what many think it does. And it is almost certain to change. Uh, So very nice piece there. And then uh, before I talk about Bitcoin volatility, which I kind of um, mentioned there, uh, I did want to go over one other article that was in the Financial Times that I thought was quite interesting. This was... Uh, called Volatility Vortex Slams into 24 Trillion U.S. Government Bond Market. Uh, Key Measure of Turbulence in Treasuries Reaches Highest Level Since 2020 Coronavirus Crisis. This article was published on September 27th. The $24 trillion U.S. Treasury market has been hit with its most severe bout of turbulence since the coronavirus crisis, underscoring how big swings in international bonds and currencies and jitters over U.S. rate rises have spooked investors. The ICE B of A move index, which tracks fixed income market volatility, has reached its highest level since March 2020. A time when deep uncertainty about how the pandemic would affect the world economy set off massive fluctuations in US government bonds. Right now, it is all about market volatility, said Janae D. Goldberg, a strategist at TD Securities. You have investors staying away because of the volatility, and investors staying away increases volatility. It is a volatility vortex. And they put in a chart that shows. Um, Volatility peaking at above 250 uh, during the global financial crisis. Uh, Coronavirus crisis, it peaked um, slightly above 150. And, of course, that's where volatility is today. So it's very close to those levels. The article goes on to say that uh, fixed income investors' nerves have been frayed by a series of events most commonly seen during market crises. Japan, the world's third biggest economy, last week stepped in to defend the yen after the currency rapidly tumbled to a 24-year low against the dollar. Just days later, plans for big tax cuts by the U.K. government ignited a historic sell-off in Britain's currency and sovereign debt markets. These international events have added to a powerful pullback in the U.S. Treasury market, that accelerated after the Federal Reserve last week delivered its third straight 0.75 percentage point rate hike and signaled significantly tighter monetary policy to come the 10-year Treasury yield a key benchmark for global borrowing costs has surged to more than 4 percent from 3.2 percent at the end of August leaving it set for the biggest monthly rise since 2003 is on track for the sharpest ever annual rise. The two-year yield, more sensitive to fluctuations in U.S. monetary policy, has left 3.55 percentage points this year, which would also mark a historic increase. The big price movements have left investors wary of trading in a market that acts as the bedrock of the global financial system and is typically considered a haven during times of stress. With investors on the sidelines, liquidity in the treasury market, the ease with which traders buy and sell, has deteriorated to its worst level since March 2020, according to a Bloomberg index. Poor liquidity tends to exacerbate price swings, worsening volatility. In a sign of how the fraught conditions are keeping some fund managers away, the U.S. has drawn lackluster demand at sales this week for a combined $87 billion in new debt. A two-year issuance on Monday priced at a high yield of 4.29 percent, while a five-year deal one day later priced at 4.23 percent, both marking the highest borrowing costs for the government since 2007. The two-year debt was sold with the widest difference or tail between what was expected just before the auction and where it actually priced since the 2020 COVID-induced market uh, ruction, said Tim Simons, a money market economist at u.s investment bank jeffries the treasury department will auction off 36 billion in seven-year notes on wednesday the seven-year note has struggled to attract demand in less volatile moments so the environment this week could pose a challenge until there's more certainty i think we will continue to have this buyer's strike simon says the markets are so crazy that it's hard to price any kind of new longer dated bonds coming into the market A divergence between the Fed's own outlook for interest rate and market expectations has added to the sense of uncertainty. According to their latest projections, most Fed officials now expect the federal funds rate to rise from its current target range of 3 to 3.25% to to 4.4% by year end. And by the end of 2023, Fed officials expect interest rates to stand at 4.6%. Meanwhile, investors are betting that the Fed will be forced to cut interest rates next year, with expectations in the futures market of a peak of 4.5% in May of 2023, with a fall to 4.4% by the year-end. Given persistent and broad-based price pressures, there is significant uncertainty about whether that amount of monetary tightening will be sufficient to bring inflation back down to the Fed's 2% target. Recession risks have also risen markedly, further clouding the outlook. Strong rhetoric adopted by Fed officials about the central bank's battle against inflation has stoked further angst in the market. Many officials now agree that interest rates need to rise to a level that actively constrains the economy and stay there for an extended period. The only other time I've seen us this united was at the beginning of the pandemic when we knew we had to act boldly to support the economy through the pandemic and through the downturn, said Neil Kashkari, president of the Minneapolis branch of the Fed in an interview with the wall street journal on tuesday we are all united in our job to get inflation back down to 2 percent, and we are committed to doing what we need to do in order to make that happen so again very interesting article talking you know about um how interest rates continue to rise how volatility is peaking spiking uh in really the safest or what has been historically thought of as the safest market, which is U.S. Treasuries. So, talking about volatility, um, what's what's really interesting to me is that you know Bitcoin's volatility has been declining relative to to other assets uh, recently. So you've got um, U.S. government debt volatility approaching you know the coronavirus levels, um, and that's. Uh, according to the, uh, the MOVE or the move index, um, which measures, uh, bond market volatility. Um, when you look at stocks, uh, stock market volatility over the past 12 months is basically doubled. So, you know, it was, uh, the VIX, uh, which is the volatility index for the, the stock market was, um, around fifteen a year ago, and uh, it's around thirty today. So that's a you know hundred percent increase in volatility in that time frame. It's been up and down, of course, but it's definitely followed uh, uh, an upward trend as uh, market conditions have pretty steadily deteriorated over the last year. And then when you look at Bitcoin, uh, volatility, um, it's quite interesting. It's, it, it, uh, it's kind of fluctuated. And if you go, this would, you know, go back a year, uh, it's kind of fluctuated between about a four, uh, and, uh, two, uh, uh, level of volatility. And then it kind of spiked in July to, uh, about five and a half percent, sorry, 4% and 2%, 5.5%. And then it's just kind of collapsed and it's, it's, it's really been at a like zero, uh, for since, uh, you know, basically for the last two months. And I think that's because the, you know, again, the the price movement has really leveled off. So in other words, it was, you know, a year ago bitcoin price was 60,000 uh today it's around 19,000 but it's really been fluctuating in that 19,000 to you know 20 20-ish thousand range uh all the way back um to July pretty much and so so uh we saw a big increase in volatility as the price collapsed and then when it hit 19 the volatility is just basically gone which I think is just quite fascinating uh typically Bitcoin has been significantly more volatile than than all the other assets and and especially bonds I mean historically bonds have, have really been the least volatile they have you know typically very small movements and and certainly in times of if you go back to 2008 financial crisis that was the bet you know you put you put your money in bonds uh interest rates fall bond prices go up um, but it's all very uh orderly and, and very small movements from day to day um, i don't think that's the environment that we're in today uh given the uh, incredibly uh larger amount of debt that's outstanding compared to back then. Um, and if you remember back then, the, the central banks had to bail out the banks. So, um, now the central banks have all the debt and who's going to bail out the central banks. They, they have to bail themselves out. And that's, uh, that means you have to look at Japan for an example, but that means, you know, either bond crisis or currency crisis. And, uh, it's just something we haven't ever seen before in developed nations. You see it all the time in, um, developing countries where they have, you know, bond crisis, currency crisis, hyperinflation, but you really haven't seen that in developed nations, um, yet. Um, but, but again, our over leveraged debt-based system is struggling with, with inflation and, and higher interest rates. Um, My own opinion is that this quantitative tightening and raising of rates that the Fed has been um, engaged in and that other central banks are also following suit uh, can't go on for too much longer um, at the risk of the system completely imploding. And and I don't think they're going to let that happen. Uh, On the flip side of that, going back to QE and rate cuts will, will only fuel inflation. Um, but that does seem like the likely path. And if history is any guide, that's where they'll go. We've already seen, you know, obviously Japan hasn't hasn't relinquished uh, their yield curve control. Uh, Bank of England is, is already uh, pivoting. Um, the Eurozone hasn't really uh, stopped QE. Even though they've been raising rates, they, they really haven't stopped quantitative easing because they're buying bonds in some of the weaker countries and selling bonds from the wealthier countries. So um, it seems like that's the path that we're headed down. The central banks really don't have any good choices at this point. Um, If they don't print money, uh, they'll collapse the system. If they print money, um, then they'll inflate. And that's uh, a, a small amount of inflation and they don't mind, but too much inflation, you know, causes obviously civil unrest and um, uh, it's unsustainable and it can, it can quickly get out of hand once people start believing that inflation is going to be a, um, a problem they'll uh, change their behaviors. They'll start hoarding things and, and buying stuff in, in larger quantities because prices they are afraid prices are going to go up. They'll accelerate purchases that they would otherwise wait uh, because they're afraid of prices going up and that sort of thing. Uh, a really good book is called when money dies by Adam Ferguson that I read uh, a couple years ago that uh, it's written by a historian, uh, but it's uh, Tells you about what happened in Weimar Germany, um, just before you know World War II, and how their currency collapsed. And I think it's it's quite instructive, and, and it's almost a little chilling how some of the things that happened in there, you're kind of starting to see happen around us today. Uh, you know, for example, rise rise of labor unions because uh, people need their pay to be uh, keep up with inflation and um um, you know laws are passed that that are intended to help and they don't like the um like the latest uh, federal uh, legislation that came out the inflation reduction act which you know they say look at the name and then and then uh, assume that it does the opposite uh so bottom line is the fiat system is broken and uh and so bitcoin i think lets you opt out with the hardest money known to demand and uh having some allocation of bitcoin i think uh, is generally uh, believed to be a good hedge um, it's money that's outside of the system and so you can uh, nobody can take it away from you it's uh it's safe uh, in that respect from uh, government intervention and, um, it will probably, you know, given, especially given, you know, how bad markets have been and how relatively not non-volatile Bitcoin has been, it seems to be finding, uh, it's finding a market, uh, for people that, that want something that's going to, um, Again be outside of the system so that if the system were to really suffer a reset um, you wouldn't really be too worried about uh, about that part of your uh, portfolio and and indeed you know if, if things got really bad Bitcoin should perform um, you know a lot better than um, than other uh than other assets, but I'd expect it to perform, you know, similar to gold or silver and that type of an environment. Again, remind, reminder about the, the qualities of Bitcoin, you know, it is absolutely scarce. There's only 21 million coins that will ever be in existence. Uh, you can transfer it peer to peer without an intermediary. So you don't need a bank or a finance company to give you permission to send the money to someone else. You can just send it to anyone anywhere in the world with a computer and an internet connection. Bitcoin network operates independently of all legacy financial systems. So it is the first digital global payments infrastructure. Uh, There's no counterparty risk when you self-custody it. Um, it's, It's on you to protect your keys, be responsible. It's trustless so Bitcoin is not controlled by any person or group and again I feel like it's a hedge against fiat currency debasement and collapse in much the same way as the gold is except it doesn't have golds drawbacks of difficulty to validate store transfer and secure especially in large amounts what I'm also learning too is that the Bitcoin Lightning network which is a layer two protocol that's being built on top of the Bitcoin network that allows for anonymous and and uh, and fast payments which are then sort of aggregated and then settled on the bitcoin um, network in chunks uh you know it allows you to do small payments for you know virtually no cost uh and just scan a qr code and you can send bitcoin from your in your lightning wallet to another person and and um there's a lot of development going on in that particular area. That's very exciting. And I think, um, you know, is potentially, you know, uh, disruptive to, you know, the traditional like the credit card companies and that sort of thing, because again, the costs are very low and you get final settlement, which, you know, a lot of times credit card transactions take, or even ACH transactions take a couple days to settle. Where these can settle, you know, every ten minutes or whatever. So, very excited about that, and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, potential for Bitcoin Lightning uh, development in the future. So. That's about it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye bye.